podcast contains mature content listener discretion is advised i just wanted to take the time out to in remembrance of everyone who lost their lives lost loved ones on the tragic terroristic events of 9-11 the world stood still that day and it's hard to believe that it's been 20 years so for everyone out there who lost a loved one whether it be on 9-11, the wars that ensued, or just, the tr- just any form of the tragedy. The world stood still that day on September 11th, 2001. Join me in a moment of silence to remember all of the victims of that tragedy. For those of you who were expecting an episode last weekend, I do apologize. I had some difficulties with the audio. There will be two episodes today, so you're getting this one, the aftermath, for part one. And you're also getting the Sunday Morning Slasher part two. That will be dropping later today. Thanks for your support. Don't forget, leave a review anywhere you can. Subscribe. And just thank you for, for growing this, this podcast. Hello, and welcome to the jury room, where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades-old unsolved mysteries, these stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. All right, well, welcome back to another episode of the Jury Room Aftermath. Uh, First and foremost, I would like to apologize for not getting an episode out last weekend. Uh, Paige and I recorded. We had a great conversation, and we just had technical difficulties all over the place. Uh, so here we are again, doing it all over again. Technical difficulties. Paige, welcome back yet again. Thanks for coming on recording for the second time. Uh, hey, I'm just honored to be here. And, you know, things happen. Technical right. difficulties suck, but they happen. <laughs> and, you know, but I don't mind talking about this. Like, I could talk about this all day long. So I'm all good. Right. So why don't you introduce, obviously, your page. Why don't you introduce your podcast, where they can find you at, all that good jazz. Yeah. So my podcast is called Reverie True Crime, and Twitter is Reverie Crime Pod. Instagram, Facebook, everywhere else, you can find me at Reverie True Crime. And what are you working on right now? Any new episode you got coming up that you're excited about? Well, I've got a couple of things. I am currently working on the case of David Brom, who took an axe to his whole family and at only 16 years old. So I'm working on that right now. And after that, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> that sounds like an interesting case. I don't think I've heard of him. Um, so that's going to be an exciting episode to listen to. Yeah, it's, it's quite a wild ride. <laughs> quite a while. Well, and that's kind of the, the ride that we're getting ready to go on, right? Yes. So the Sunday morning slasher, what are your initial thoughts of this guy? Had you heard of him before? What's your take on the guy? I had heard his name, uh, and the moniker, I guess you would call that the Sunday, um, morning slasher but I didn't know all of the details like in depth and 
just a like a review of this. It is insane to me that he got away with this for so long with, you know, even DNA being a thing at the time he wasn't like sexually doing anything to these women. So it was very hard for them to catch this guy. Right. And I don't think it was necessarily a, um, obviously it wasn't a a crime of, uh, you know, sexual assault and rape. Right. Right. I feel like it was more or less like a, a way for him to exert control power over somebody because obviously somewhere in his life, he felt like he lost control and he was trying to take it back. Yeah, I totally see that for sure. So from the beginning, from a small child, and uh, I had Jules on a little while ago from Riddle Me That, and we were talking Mm -hmm. about how it's hard for, you know, doctors and psychologists and such to diagnose kids with personality disorders because they are still developing as, you know, as people. So it's kind of one of those things like, do you, do you, what's your take on that? Do you think they could have caught something early on to where, you know, potentially they could have stopped this from happening? You know, I wish so. You know, it's kind of one of those things where like your child is doing weird things and you don't know if it's normal and, you know, like maybe kids ripping the head off of their Barbie dolls or um, just doing things that are kind of like, oh should they be doing that is that a weird thing is that normal and so I can see how it's you know very difficult to tell very early on but you know as a young child I see that he enjoyed hunting and skinning rabbits now at what age that was you know I would I wish I knew you know because here in the south that's not very uncommon for for little boys to like hunting and skinning rabbits but if you're just out there doing it just because you can and uh like you said kind of like okay I have power and control to do this you know if that's the case then that is scary um I know as a child that he was, you know, described as weird and strange, um, but people would also say he was like really sweet and soft-spoken. So that, it's so difficult when they're children to, you know, tell, okay, is my child going to be developing into a great person or is there something maybe mentally going on? Um, You just... It it sucks that it does take a long time before, you know, you kind of get to figuring that out. Right. And then, you know, as his childhood went on, right, his father became absent and then he, you know, developed or his um, mom married again. And now he has a stepfather. And of course, his family grew exponentially. So I'm wondering if maybe that part played into that power dynamic to where he was always constantly struggling for attention. And, you know, as a child, you want 100% of the attention all the time. And maybe he just wasn't able, he didn't have that part of his brain to recognize that he needed to share that attention. Yeah. And, you know, um, my little cousin just lost his father a couple of weeks ago and this is personal, but I, you know, I'm pretty much an open book and, you know, I don't mind sharing things like this, but he's 10 and he has an autistic brother who is five. Um, and the five-year-old doesn't really understand at least verbally. He can't really tell you how he feels now in his mind is he processing things differently and can he understand what's going on maybe you know I'm I'm not sure but she's moving in a guy tomorrow with his kids and this guy happens to be his dad that passed away it's his cousin and they you know this is a very difficult situation because in reading Carl's 
life and how his father left, even though it's a different circumstance. Um, it's just, huh, for kids, they do want that attention and so much change, like just in a small amount of time, I worry about my little cousins, especially the 10 year old. I think, how is he feeling? I'm always, you know, I'm always sure, like, even if his mama is not on top of it, like, that I am sending him messages every day that I'm checking on his mental health and his emotional health and seeing where he is and kind of getting a feel for that because I know this sounds awful, but unfortunately, someone in the family did bring up the fact that what if the 10-year-old harbors a lot of anger and one day he snaps and I said, you know, well, that's a, unfortunately, that is a possibility. You know, we can only try counseling, you know, if we see that he starts acting differently or does start acting out in different ways or has anger, you know, and I asked him because he was supposed to start counseling at school. And he said, I really don't want to talk to a stranger about these kind of things. And he told me, he said, I would rather talk to you. And that just like, of course, warmed my heart. Like I was just like, oh, but at the same time, like I don't have the professional capability to give him maybe an answer that a counselor could. So I struggle with that. Like, yes, I love that, you know, if you're feeling any kind of way, you want to talk to me. But at the same time, at, you know, at the age of like Carl, like how do you talk to a child around that age, you know, about adult matters and how they're feeling? It's just, it's a very complicated situation, I believe. First and foremost, I want to pass my condolences on to you and your family and to the children. You know, I know it's it's hard losing a loved one, and, and especially at a at a young age like that, to lose somebody who is, is important to you. So I do pass my condolences on to you and your family. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been really hard on, on the kids. And, you know, unfortunately... I've, you know, I've never been in this situation before, so you know how we read and research and write about children who, you know, at this age when things like this happen, you really have to keep a check on how they're emotionally doing, mentally, you really have to watch and listen, and it, it, it's very complicated for sure. I don't know the, you know, the whole picture of the whole situation that your family's in, but, um, you know, I had a lot of, um, I had an absent father as a child and I had a lot of different, I guess, fatherly figures in and out of my life until I was probably, I think, for fuck, how old was I? 13, I think. And then, um, you know, and then my stepdad came into the picture, but I've noticed like the older I've gotten, I'm more. And I don't know if, the, you know, it's probably a contributing factor, uh, but I'm definitely guarded, you know, with people where I just kind of. Oh, I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. And if you don't mind me asking, when you were that age, when you were little and there were kind of like father figures here and there, how did that, were you like struggling to try to get attention from your mom or was it difficult for you mentally and emotionally? Um, yeah, in a way it was like a, um, it developed into attachment issues, you know, because I would mm. get attached to somebody and they wouldn't stay, you know what I mean? Oh. And so. Break my heart, Kevin. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, I mean, but that's just the reality of it is right. Like yeah. I was very much uh, as a child, very much as like a, um. I didn't like change, you know, I didn't like things to change and I didn't want things to be different. Right. Um, so it was hard, you know, it was like, 
you know, but it just got to a point where it was just like, you know what, fuck it. Like, they're not going to stick around. They're not going to be there. It's whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so now it's just, you know, and, and I, as I've gotten older and I've, you know, I guess looked back over my life and, you know, it's just kind of one of those things you just kind of hold people at an arm's distance and that's it, you know, because you're not yeah. going to really want to have that feeling of abandonment or attachment issues, you know, come up again. Yeah. So it's kind of easier to just stay guarded. You know what I mean? Oh, and that makes me sad too. You know, I, I don't want anybody to have to live like that, but I do understand at the same time, as much as I can, I can empathize with why you would, you know, feel that way and be that way. And, you know, and there's a lot of, you know, other contributing factors and there's a, you know, like Carl, you know, there's, and really any family dynamic. I mean, I've seen a lot of, of neglectfulness and, you know, like, oh, yes. thank, thankfully, you know, my mom didn't neglect us. There was other problems and that we could talk about that for hours, but that is not right. a conversation <laughs> that I want to have here. Right. Um, but you know, I've seen a lot of different, you know, situations of neglect and people's kids being taken from them and, you know, so on yes. and so forth. So, you know, I'm thankful that, you know, I didn't go through that kind of trauma, but I've also been on the, on your side watching it happen Yes. and just wanting to, you know, scoop them up and saying like, dude, like it's, this isn't normal. Like this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Exactly. I'm sorry. Exactly. And, and as a little mind, I think, you know, it's so hard for them to completely understand because I will ask him, you know, do you understand really what I'm saying? And he'll say, yeah, but it's like, are you really it though? <laughs> like, I, cause I really want you to understand that, you know, even though things aren't going as we would hope that they would and you know things are kind of messed up right now you know you've always got us and you've always you know got family like please don't ever feel like you're alone or you know it's just so ugh. you just right. do want to scoop them up and just save them <laughs> right and unfortunately it's it's one of those things you, you can only do so much right and right and at the end of the day it's you got to just be there for them and that's about pretty much all you can do right and can you imagine like growing up in the 60s and having to you know go through that like i know my mom was born in 69 but before that you know, my mom's mom went through a ton of abuse and it's like back then they didn't really know how to handle mental health or, or, you know, anything surrounding domestic violence or domestic issues. And so him going through this and this being the sixties right now as a child, um, I can't even imagine how hard that was oh yeah 100 percent. and it was uh it was definitely a different time you know it was a man was a man and a woman was a woman there was no gray area it was black and white a woman's job was in the household taking care of the family you know yes. uh being the homemaker while the man went to work and provided like there was no yes. in between if you were having a bad day and you were a man, you needed to suck the fuck up and shut up and do your job. Yes. And yeah. if a woman was having a bad day, you know, she needed to, you know, take a pill or something. Right. You know, there was no, there was no, hey, you know what? I'm having a bad day. I'm going to chill, you know, or there yeah, was a I'm lot of substance. I'm going to take a mental health break or something, you know, there wasn't like, yeah, okay. There right. was, it wasn't that. And there was a lot, you know, a lot of, um, uh, substance abuse, alcohol, you yes. know, drugs, pills, um, you know, so on and so forth where, you know, they didn't have, um, medication, you know, until a little bit later on to try to help combat yeah. depression and, you know, and there's a lot of, a lot of those men during, you know, from the forties, fifties and sixties, you know, a lot of them 
more than likely were suffering from PTSD because you had World War II, you had uh, the Korean War, and then you had the onset of the, you know, the Vietnam War in the 70s, you know, at the beginning, yeah. into the 60s, into the 70s. So it's kind of like, it's just a ticking time bomb. And that's where we're at now is to where we're trying to clean up, you know, as far as mental health yes. goes from that era, you know? Absolutely. So, and even, you know, back then, they would teach little boys, you know, that suck it up, you do not cry, boys don't cry, um, boys don't show emotion, you know, and it was just this toxic masculinity um, that was being brought down from generation to generation, and I think more so now than ever, we're trying as best we can to break that. Um, because I tell my little cousin all the time, you cry when you need to, you do what you need to do to feel better. And it's never, you know, not okay to just let your feelings out. And I think that is something that little boys have needed to hear for, you know, freaking centuries, but you know, that's just how it was, unfortunately. And I mean, that really didn't start changing until I would say, you know, the last, what, 10 years? Yeah. Five, you know, seven to five years. That's really. I would say know, so. I would agree with that. You know, because I like, you know, like I know you and I are around the same age and, and you know, back in the, the early 2000s you didn't cry. There was yeah. no, it was, you know, you got made fun of in school if you were crying or right. if you had a bad day or if, you know, for whatever slew of reasons, if you didn't fit the narrative that, you know, was being told at the time, you know, which is probably something else that, you know, Carl struggled with too, is that he didn't necessarily, you know, maybe fit the narrative of that time. Right. And like, even, even in high school, if, you know, a guy was to cry or let's say around Carl's age, 12 years old, when he, you know, really started to get into some crazy thoughts, um, just say he wanted to maybe cry about something around maybe two years prior to that and he got made fun of at school and probably called all kinds of names because he was a boy that cried and maybe that made him harbor anger as well I mean unfortunately there's so much as a child about him that we just don't know and can't know because we can't be inside of his head and know exactly what was going on to make him at 12 years old start having thoughts of torturing and killing little girls and women like how does that even how does that even become something in a child's mind it just it I don't know it just I wish um sometimes that I was a psychologist or something because of that stuff just intrigues me and I'm just so curious about it Right. It's it's intriguing, but it's also terrifying at the oh, same terrifying time. Terrifying as shit, yes. Be because the human mind is a powerful tool. I, I mean, it's it's so amazing. Like the human whole like human psyche is something that I don't think we'll ever solve till the dawn of time. Yeah, and that's so true. And I know that, you know, he he did have learning disabilities, but I also wonder if he possibly could have had some a mental illness or something because back then, I mean, I, until we learn about the um before we learn about him going to the institution later in life when he probably should have been going to therapy around this age, you know, it's just mind blowing and and the brain is is really complex and i just feel like maybe if he would have gotten help just a couple of years earlier maybe it could have turned his life completely around right and the but that's the you know that that leads back to the question of if you know is a uh, the psychopath 
born that way or is he made? Yeah. Right. Because yeah. the reality is, is getting him help. Is that going to help him? You know, right. because there's a lot of people that, that, you know, are not necessarily broken, but they also have problems. And then, you know, you get them help, but then they still end up committing heinous acts. You know what I mean? Exactly. That is so true. I mean, and that, I think that is something that we'll be asking for so long to like our psychopaths born. Are they, and I think, you know, some are a product of their environment I, for sure. Um, but then you do have ones that are, I feel, born in a way that their brain and the chemicals in their brain are just different. I can see that, right, where, you know, and, and then it's also that, like you said, it's, the, you know, it's the product of their uh, their environment, you know, and because there's a lot of people that don't, you know, that have really terrible lives who don't, you know, end up being an oh, asshole. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And my, my mom is a really good example of that. All the uh, abuse that she watched her mother go through her mom had a gun put to her head um I, I mean just horrendous awful abuse and the fact that my mom and her sister ended up being okay and totally like dealt with that in a healthy way their brother ended up being an alcoholic a drug abuser um, a criminal, you know, it just, he just went down a unhealthy path. And so it just, it really does affect everyone differently depending on, you know, how much you can take mentally, I guess. Right. And that's, that's the hard part is you never really know how something's going to affect somebody. That's so true. So, and then, you know, there is the simple fact that, um, you know, Carl got sick, you know, and did yeah. that play a part into his, you know, to his mental capacity and, you know, did he run a high fever for too long that caused right. you know, some kind of brain damage or something like that? Exactly. That's what that, see, these are the kind of things when it comes to the killer aspect of it. I want to know more. They're like, yeah, he was sick and he had a fever. Okay, well, how long did the fever run? How high was it? Like, I want to know every detail. I want the medical record. Like, I want to know every single bit of this. So maybe we can piece it together just a little bit better. Because sometimes we just have, you know, these little things to go off of. And we're just sitting here speculating because we don't know every single detail right you know and then was he neglected when he was sick you know did yes. that cause some kind of of resentment on his end because he wasn't you know his family wasn't uh taking care of him the way they should have that is uh, such a major good point because you know that is a huge possibility and it just sucks because we don't have all of those details and I really wish we did. You know, I wish we had more details about the childhood and I wish we had all the time more details about victims, of course. But when you're trying to understand, you know, the mind of a child or what they went through as a child, it's just so hard because we don't know everything right and that is the that's the that's what makes it hard to try to even you know begin to understand what this not that we want to empathize with them but right. you know at the same time we also want to understand what was his thought process what drove him to to do this heinous shit you know right and i think it's okay if we empathize with the child but the you know when they start changing it's time to kind of shift out of that empathy um you know it's kind of like I did get some positive feedback about the Columbus um, 
mass shooting because the guy that shot up the place, he had mental health issues that were never fully addressed. And he was literally in the corner shaking and rocking back and forth and talking to himself, hallucinating. And it's like, you know, was it wrong? Of course. But when you have a mind that is not right at all and you have no medication, no help for that, nobody to talk to, and your mind is like controlling you in a way, um, you know, I just feel for the guy and the fact that he never got that mental help. And I had a lot of people say, you know, so many people try to vilify him and, um, like turn him into the villain. But at the same time, like his, do we, okay. If does someone with a severe mental illness have that control to say, okay, can they differentiate what's right and what's wrong? It's just, it's so complicated. Well, that's the, you know, that's a good question in itself. But, um, you know, the the reality is that everybody's perception is their reality. Exactly. Now, their perception doesn't mean it's right or wrong. My perception's not right or wrong, but it's my perception. Right. It's your perception. So his reality you know, Carl's the, you know, the, the Columbus shooter, you know, everybody, this was their reality, whatever slight they had or mental health problems that they had, that was their reality. That's what they lived with day in and day out. Right. Nobody else knows what they're feeling except for them. Yeah. And I, you know, even though like we always see, at the ends of these stories when they go to trial and they're um, evaluated and they say they're competent to stand trial and stuff. It's like, how can you spend just a few days with a person and really understand whether or not they have, I don't know, the, the ability to tell right from wrong all of the time. I think that would take months worth of evaluation as we see not too far into the story. Right. And that's, you know, he, he's constantly in and out of, uh, of, you know, inpatient and outpatient, Mm -hmm. you know, facilities and, and yet nothing was helping him. It wasn't helping him get better. No. And, you know, at, At 13 years old, he was not getting good grades because of his learning disability, and um, he was only reading at a third grade level. And so, even in eighth grade, if you're held back and, you know, you would still think you would at least be reading at a seventh grade level, so it had to be like a severe learning disability on top of maybe mental illness we don't know um so and he was constantly bullied which can obviously have an effect on somebody's mind and emotions and before even his teenage years he was stalking girls and he may have you know, even killed his first victim before he was 15 years old. And that is, that is scary. That is terrifying. But I guess we also, like before, we have to look at the year we're talking about, like mental health resources were scarce. Not only were they scarce, but it was, it's one of those things that if, you were a, a boy or a man, you were, you, you couldn't have that, you know, the, the whole, uh, it's, you know, the man is, you know, the boy's supposed to be my pride and joy kind of thing. You know what right. I mean? Right. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, if, if you were, 
especially if if his stepdad or any really male figure in his life, you know, was like anytime he showed any kind of emotion, pushed him away from it, then at that point it just cemented for him that he wasn't supposed to feel that way. Yeah. And I think all of those factors, I think this is a little bit of being born and the product of your environment. I think it's a little bit of both with him. Because if you already, you know, have a learning disability, possible, you know, mental illness on top of what you're going through at home and school, then you're not only born with, you know, coming into this world with, you know, issues, but now you're having to live through even more issues that you cannot understand you can't um, figure out a way to deal with it in a healthy manner. It's just, I think, it, I think Carl has a ton of, you know, uh, mental and emotional issues. Oh, yeah, 100%. And that's the, that's the unfortunate part that nobody stopped it before it became a compulsion. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And I mean, it, it, by the time you're 15 and you're doing this horrendous stuff and you're thinking about all of this violence, something has happened along the way that has totally messed this child up. And it's that, you know, and then the, the you know, like the at 15 you know, basically he's in and out of these mental institutions and they're already, you know, telling him that, you know, hey, you're paranoid and you're struggling with homicidal impulses. But yet nobody thought, why don't we keep him, you know, yes. locked up? I'm not saying lock away, lock him away and throw away the key. But at some point there has to be a line that you have to draw when somebody has some kind of, when they have those kind of tendencies. Exactly. And luckily, like at this point, de-institutionalization um, obviously had not affected this um, area he was in because I do know that that was a thing later where um, like there was a shutdown of a lot of these places which put a lot of mental ill mentally ill people out and nowhere to go so luckily he was, you know, evaluated and put in an institution, but then it was outpatient. And when they tell you, you are um, paranoid, you are struggling for control of strong homicidal impulses, your behavior controls are faulty, there's a high potential for violent acting out, and this individual is considered dangerous. Now let's Take him on back to high school. Like, what? <laughs> what? Right. what? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. And that's the that's the crazy part is it's like, oh, you're a fucking, you're a psycho? Cool. Let's go back. You're going to go to high school right now. That's fine. We need, exactly. <laughs> we need more crazy people in schools. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, I know back then, like we've talked about, mental illness has always been a stigma and this was around 1969 but still you would think there is some common sense there to keep him inpatient until you get some medication figured out or something you don't just send this kid back off to school Right. But I mean, it was, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you've seen it or you, you've learned about family secrets, right? From growing up. And, oh, yeah. And it was, a, it was just a different time. Like you didn't talk about those things. Mm, like, true. I mean, if you, I'm sure like, I'm not saying you have, but, or you've known friends or family members, but you know, it comes out, you know, 30 years later, oh, so-and-so yes. was sexually abusing, you know, yes. their, oh their sister or 
you know, their aunts or uncles, whatever. And it's like, and it was, a, everybody knew in the family, but nobody but talked It was about hush, it. hush. Yes. It's so many things you are, you were never allowed to talk about, especially back then. And so it's probably one of those things that everybody in, in Carl's family knew he was a fucking psycho, yeah. but nobody talked but about it. We don't talk about that. Yeah. We're, we're not going to talk about it. We're just gonna act like, you know, everything's normal. Let's just shove it under the rug a little bit, keep it hush hush. And then now we're, now we have a, a serial killer in the making. Right. And not only a serial killer in the making, but a serial killer in the making who thinks it's okay because nobody talks about his, his heinous shit, you know? Yes, exactly. Oh my gosh. You, you know, you just hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Cause nobody talks about it. He did, you know, he may not have known, you know, Hey, I shouldn't, this may not be a good idea to do what I'm doing. Um, maybe I could deal with this in a healthier way, but nobody ever talked to him about that, you know, and I'm not trying to make up excuses for him. I'm just saying how broken the, the mental health system was and still kind of is because it's not easy financially to get mental help still really but back then oh my god like you you know you, the mental health um institutions and whatnot they have to take some accountability for how you know some of these people turned out so do family members you know I feel like there has to be some accountability there where you're like, oh, you know what? I did fuck up. Like, I should have talked to my kid more. Right. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I can imagine even that realization has even probably come through with, like, say, our parents. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. Where they're like, I really should have talked to them. Yep. Yeah. So, I don't know. I like you said, I, I feel bad for him as a kid, uh, but there's just that point that comes where it's just like exactly. you can't you can't feel bad for him anymore. Yeah. You know, especially the heinous things. Uh it's just it's really bad. And you know, I can't help but think what if, you know. Uh, and I hate that. I hate going, you know, what if, because we can't change it. Um, right. And there's a lot of people, you know, especially in, in, in the Carl Watts case that, you know, needlessly lost their lives that, yeah. you know, potentially could have been saved. Yep. And, you know, Carl could have had an amazing life because even though he did start doing drugs and he was kind of a loner and getting getting in trouble every now and then. His athletic ability during this time was incredible. And he had a football scholarship. You know, he could have really made something of himself in a positive way. But unfortunately, he stopped going to his outpatient um, treatments. Because he was 19 years old at this point, and, you know, now he's making his own decisions because nobody's making him go. So, you know, after you're 18, your your parents really can't make you go anywhere, and, and it's hard to get an adult committed. Right. And that's... I'm sure somebody's going to say something about this, but I don't know where or how somebody deemed 18-year-olds adults. Yeah. No. Sh- oh, God. I agree. Uh, when I was 18 years old, I was not a fucking adult. Hell. I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> right? They They didn't teach us in school, like, 
about life shit. They did not teach us about so many things that, you know, hey, we're just going to throw you out in the world and you're going to learn on your own and fuck whatever happens. Like, (laughs) whatever you go through, you learn from it, you know? And it's like, God damn, y'all didn't really teach me what what we really needed to know. (laughs) My God. And that's what I, you know, that's what's, what's crazy about it all is it's like, you know, being 18 doesn't mean that you're an adult and that you know what you're doing. And, and, and there are some mature people out there and I'm not trying to alienate everybody, but the reality of it is, is like, you cannot be, you're just not in the right headspace for, you know, No, and, and honest to God, even at 21, like I look back and think, I still wasn't really an adult back then. Sure, you know, I was mature in a lot of ways, but I was still not what I would consider an adult. But yet you could buy alcohol. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, at 18, you can take these kids to war. It is, it's unbelievable to me. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's... That's a whole, oh man, we could talk about this. Yeah, we, we would get in so much trouble, I think, because I do feel like me and you do share similar ideas and uh, opinions. And I think that we would get in a whole lot of trouble <laughs> if, we started, um, if we started certain conversations. Oh man. But yeah, that's, 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 yeah. If you guys want to have Paige back on to talk about, 18 and 21 year olds (laughs) let me know because that's a conversation we could have for hours on end seriously yes but you know and then you know and unfortunately as he was going through you know end of high school and going into college even on his athletic scholarship he still chose the life of you know attacking women and unfortunately killing them and that's just that's the unfortunate part of where this Ugh. story takes that, you know, yeah. dark and disgusting turn. Yeah. And man, it's sad because before he started, uh, before he was accepted to go to, to college on this football scholarship, he was evaluated again at the outpatient facility, maybe before he just completely stopped going. And, um, it was found that he was still a danger and had a strong impulse to beat up women. Right. Um, Homicidal urges. Yeah. And unfortunately, because of his age, the confidentiality policies at that time and still, you know, I think, it's still probably after 18, they can't really tell anybody what, what you say. But I think now it's unless you are a harm to yourself or someone else, then they can alert somebody, which is crazy to me that back then, I guess that wasn't a thing because I, you know, I've read because of the confidentiality policies, they weren't allowed to tell the police, the college, his family, or anything at that age. Right. And that's, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, right? Because right. you have to have that, if you want to, you know, in a way, fit, you know, try to fix your mental, you know, whatever your mental health is you got to have that confidentiality, yeah. you know what I mean? Because you, there's, yeah. there's a lot of, you know, thoughts and secrets that you have that you don't want me to know and vice versa. Right. Yeah. While we don't act on that stuff or whatever it is, you know what I mean? It's still not something that you want everybody to know, you know? That's so true. I mean, yeah, you do want that, that privacy and to trust that that person, you know, I'm here telling you what my innermost thoughts are, even if they're super dark, Um, you know, and it's, I can't imagine how hard it is on a counselor or a therapist or a psychiatrist to know, at least back then, all of these things. And they're like, oh my gosh, I can't even like alert the police that this man or this boy really is a danger to society and uh, 
Could you imagine the, like, if it was me, I would feel guilty. Like, the guilt yeah, that I for would sure. feel is unbearable, I think. It would, it would be, it would, that's a lot of weight to, to hold on, yeah, because, and, knowing that you could have stopped it. Yeah, and you have to lay your head down at night wondering, oh, could this have been stopped if I would have went to the police when I first realized there was a problem when he was coming to me in therapy? Like, that's a lot. And I, I don't think, you know, they're just, I feel like doing their jobs and going by the guidelines. And I'm sure that people do have that guilt, but at the end of the day, it was, you know, his choice, I think, to to do these things. But again, I struggle with, was it his choice or was his brain just so messed up that he was not in control of it? Because I don't know the ins and outs of the brain and, you know, the mental stuff. So I struggle sometimes with, okay, was there a choice? Did he know this was right from wrong? You know, that's what I struggle with sometimes. Right. And it's gotta be a, I mean, I, I can't imagine he thought it was good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, even if you are mentally, you know, going through it or whatever, um, or even, I don't know, even if you have maybe psychosis or schizophrenia. My uncle had schizophrenia, the one that, um, my mom's brother. And I, I know just by witnessing him that he did not know what he was doing all the time. And he was kind of seeing things and hearing things that weren't there. And so I always wonder, like... You know, when Carl is doing this, we don't really know what his what it what his mental illness is, or you know, whatever. Is there voices in his head telling him what to do, or is he looking at this and going, "Well, this is just how I get my anger out." And that's you know that's a very valid question. Because you know, and I hate to be, I hate to be that person because I don't want to seem like I am in any way making an excuse for him. It's just questions that when you really sit down and just evaluate the whole entire person, like as a whole, it's like what was really going on? Is this a control and anger thing? only or is it mixed with something else i mean there's just so much we will never know but at the end of the day we do know these people did not deserve to die that's one thing we do know right and in such a brutal fashion oh really. my god i mean you wonder at least i do when people like carl let's let's just say he was uh at some point in a state of not knowing and is there a moment where they like snap back into reality and look at it and say, holy shit, what did I just do? What did I just do? I just, I, I have a lot of questions. I, you know, I just wonder. But that's just one of those things though, that me personally, I, somebody like Carl Watts, I don't think they do. I don't think they have the capability at that point because- right it's that lack of empathy you know what i mean yes. that lack of being able to realize oh fuck like i i i just i've already killed 15 people i should probably stop now kind of mentality right right you know or I mean? even at two or three you right like, eh. or, or just one like <laughs> yeah. i mean even one is kind of like uh, maybe i should stop doing this right right and, uh, he, um, and you can't teach somebody empathy either if he has no empathy whatsoever um, you can't teach that. And so it's awful, but you just, you cannot teach empathy. And if he has no empathy, there's definitely no turning back once, once something is done. And this, you know, sometimes gratifies some killers, you know, was it gratification for him? 
because it wasn't sexually motivated. So was this just his way to get all of that anger out? Is what I'm I'm leaning more towards that in this situation that it was probably more of the control, aggression, anger. I I do lean more towards that in his case. Right. And that's this is at least if it was like um if there was some kind of sexual crimes being committed, you would have kind of an idea of what was going through his head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. there's, you know, there's, you know, the, okay, you know, maybe he, he wasn't good with women. So he was felt entitled, you know what I mean? Yes. But the reality is, is that his motives were so random that there yeah. really wasn't a reason to what he was doing. It was so frenzied. It was just chaotic. And, um, yeah, that's that's why I want to lean more towards this is the way he released his anger and just did not care. Um, because the amount of women that he killed and children, I mean, the amount. And, you know, as we see later, the amount that he claims is way higher than you know and some some people do that i know for attention and for like weird um notoriety trying to beat other like oh i i killed more than this serial killer or whatever i know some of that weird shit does happen but you know yeah i do think this was definite anger and control issues Mixed with a little mental, you know, instability for sure. But I think that he, at the end of the day, knew, like, I'm taking my anger out on this woman. And could it be because he was neglected by a woman? I don't, I don't know. Right. You know, did his mom neglect him? Yeah. Was his mom, you know, or maybe his grandma, maybe yeah. a woman that, you know, a parental figure or an aunt, an uncle, a sister, maybe, yeah. you know, stopped paying attention to him. Yeah, because we see that a lot. These, uh, especially in cases with with men like Ed Kemper and things like that, like they hated their mother so much they took it out on other women. When really the woman that like Ed Kemper wanted to kill this whole time was his mother, but. You know, it's things like that. And it just gives me chills, even though, you know, we've heard the Ed Kemper story so many times. It is still chilling. Like, oh. Oh, yeah, easily. It's the, you know, and it's like, oh, well, once he killed and once he killed his mom, it was gone. You right. Know, like, like, it was just like a release. You know what yes. I mean? Yes. And it's just it's fascinating and terrifying all wrapped into one and you know i think possibly this could have been maybe carl's issue as well because maybe he needed more attention and maybe she was given all the you know the stepdad or the guys that came in before him maybe she was not paying enough attention to him. And like you said, when he was sick, was she being neglectful? Was she doing all she could do? We don't know. And if she wasn't, that could really tell a lot about his motives here. 100%. And that's the, you know, the... It's just that it's that, it's just that same daunting question. Was he born that way or did his family, you know, help him, you know, get, become this way? Yeah. Well, and, you know, in my definitely unexperienced uh, opinion, like I have no experience in this whatsoever in psychology or anything like um, I give so much props to Jules because from Riddle Me That, she's she's so beyond intelligent. I just can't with her. But <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna um, listen to this and she's gonna be like, "Stop it!" <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she's so humble. Like, girl, bye. Bye, um, <laughs> Felicia. That's yes. right, Jules. We're looking at you. I know you're listening. 
We love you. But she's so smart and she's so educated on this kind of stuff. But just in my opinion, I would say it's it I would say it's like 30-70. mental and 70% probably his environment and the product of his own environment, I would think. It's something like that. 2080 seven you know, 3070, something like that. I would say maybe, <laughs> maybe. Right. And that's the, that's the daunting question that will probably, you know, I know that we've come a long way in studying serial killers and, you know, people who do go and kill people. But the question, the reality is that we're really never going to be able to predict the way somebody's going to handle something. Yeah. And, you know, as we will get into the, the brutalness of, you know, I, that's probably not even a word, but the brutal, like, the way that he was so relentless, and I think it was a little bit of overkill on how he did what he did, oof. You know, that, that, uh, that is, I think that is pure rage. Right. And that's that you, you got to figure out where, what caused that rage. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. It's crazy. The, the amount, this, the sheer brutalness of his crimes are astounding to me. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. And, you know, that's when I start looking at it like, yeah, this is, this is probably stemming from something he went through in his childhood that just made him feel like, okay, I'm going to be in control of this and I am going to take all my anger out on you and just, just rage killing chaotically. Right. And that's that, you know, there's really no, there's really never ever been a rhyme or reason to his pattern or to, to you know, to the people that he's killing. Exactly. Do you have any final thoughts on this guy? Cause he, he is, a, he's a piece of shit. For just for, you know, for as, as much as we've covered in just the, you know, part one of the aftermath, I would say, I feel sorry for him when he was a little kid, but as he got older, you know, I can't, it's like, that's when you stop because now you realize as the story goes on, you start becoming more aware that this is probably an anger issue and woof, it's, it's brutal. It gets really brutal and yeah, my thoughts on him are just all over the place because it's so hard for me to know what children can turn into if they have no help. Um, they have no stability emotionally, mentally, you know, people need to be conscious of how they're, they're treating their children. Um, you know, I just feel like parents take this as a, <laughs> please take this as a learning opportunity to be there for your kids and help them because you just never know if that could, you know, contribute to their life being taken into a whole new positive direction. And, you know, if you neglect your child and, they never get any help. This could be their future. And it's terrifying. And it sounds so gross to say that, actually. But it's it's true. And we've seen it so many times. I mean, it's just, unfortunately, that's the way the cookie crumbles. You know, when when children have, you know, and not all children, like you said, go through shitty situations and end up like this. But it's the fact that it's a possibility that's you know something we need to take care of as a family unit 
Right, and that is, you know, love your kids, support them, you know, uh, you know, teach them, you know, that it's okay to have a bad day, that it's okay to feel, you know, to feel sad and, and it's okay to feel your emotions, you know? Yeah. And, and just the fact that, you know, like, like we've said a million times and I'll say it again, like all children that go through bad situations do not turn into killers. And I'm not trying to betray it that way. But at least know that you did all you could for for your child and don't have any regrets looking back. Well, Paige, thanks for coming on a second time to talk to me about the Sunday Morning Slasher and Carl Watts and this sadistic human being that he is. And I appreciate all your insight. And uh, again, thanks for coming on. Why don't you plug your podcast, where they can find you at and all that good stuff. Well, if they have made it this far into all of my rambling and, <laughs> and still want to listen to my show, it's called Reverie True Crime, and it's R-E-V-E-R-I-E, True Crime. And um, on Twitter, it's Reverie Crime Pod, and everywhere else, you can find me at Reverie True Crime. Right on. And so before we go, I have one question to ask you. I know you've already okay. answered it once, right? But I'm going to yeah. ask you again. Well, see, this, I'm, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still like very unknowing of, of like what my answer might be today. It could change. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could be one sandwich condiment, what would you be and why? Hmm. I know what I said last time, but I'm like, I don't know. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with like spicy mustard because I can be a little feisty. I can be, you know, everybody's favorite sometimes, but I can also be a little, you know, my temper can kind of get up there and I can be a little feisty. So maybe spicy mustard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm here for that. Spicy mustard's good. So, but again, thanks for coming on. No, I appreciate it. And uh, I can't wait until we do this again. Thanks for listening. And remember, you never know what's lurking in the shadows lingering around the corner walking past your house at night so watch out stay safe and keep listening this has been the jury room